Let's see what Nate Hackett comes up with here at the end of this game. It'll be second and one. Forget the one. They've got to get it into the end zone. Carolina trying to stop him and win the game. Here's Manuel with a fade and wide open. Touchdown to Stevie Johnson. I know we've talked about this before, and I, specifically I know that Richard Deitch and I kind of talked about it a little bit in the football preview issue or edition of this podcast, but there's one thing, Don, there's one thing that drives me nuts about doing this show, and it's the apparent inability of people that I reach out to being able to just say no okay, or right, no thank right. you. We've said it before. There's this unbelievably weird trend of – I ask a guest, would you like to come on the podcast? This is who we've had on. This is what we want to do. Would you be interested? Could we do it? And they will either say, yes, I can do it. This is when I can do it. Or overwhelmingly, we just get ignored. Right. And I'm really, honestly, I'm reaching my limit when it comes to this (laughs) because you don't know how impossible it is to try to book this show when you don't know whether someone has said no or they just haven't said yes yet. Okay. And we've had several weeks where literally nine requests get answered yes. And then other weeks where I've sent out 30 and haven't got any answer of any kind back. Right. And I'm really getting to the point – and sometimes we'll say – this person's kind of blowing us off, but usually we don't out people. I think I'm getting pretty close to like the first part of this show every week being these are the jerks who can't <laughs> even justify a really polite, honest response with no. And like I said before, too, I'm not so stuck up that I think everyone I ask has Should some kind of on. obligation right, to right. be on. They don't. But I do think that there is a certain obligation to just say no thank you. Right. Sure. Why not? Yeah. I mean, I think I'd even rather have. Fuck off than this, like, <laughs> ignorant, like, ignoring. Yeah. I can't take it. It's not like we're, we're making a request to the president who's too busy. No, and and even the president, I feel, would have some sort of obligation to have some kind of form letter handy. Right, right. That he could respond with that says, you know, thank you, but no thank you. Right, right, right. But I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't get it. Uh, luckily... Basically, every week we've been able to find two people kind enough to agree to come on. Yep. I, I can't think of any time where we haven't been able to fill the show. And luckily today we have two very kind, talented uh, guys who are going to join us today. Dan Wolken, who started with us when he was the the sports editor and columnist for a new kind of radical idea called The Daily, which didn't ultimately work. It was uh, uh, for the iPad-only newspaper. Uh, and he has moved on to a probably better position for him, writing about college football for the USA Today, the nation's newspaper. Right, right. And Dan's going to join us to talk about the big Texas A&M-Alabama game and other things in the uh, college football world, including the interesting expose that Sports Illustrated uh, has done over the last week on Oklahoma State and some potential cheating that's gone on there. And uh, the backlash that's come 
on SI. And you would think, is there any podcast out there other than the ones that SI does that is more like SI friendly than ours? I wouldn't think so. And yet I can't get anything from them. <laughs> it's like we're good enough every week except for the week like where I would love to have someone. Yeah, yeah. That's crickets. Uh, but uh, we're going to have Dan Wilkin on to talk about that. And a guy that's only been on once, but that's more because we don't do a ton of boxing. But if we did, we'd have this yeah, guy good. every talk, chance yeah. we can get. He's great. His name is Michael Woods. He's from thesweetscience.com, and he also does a lot of uh, coverage for ESPN. ESPN the magazine and ESPN.com. He's going to join us to talk about the Floyd Mayweather uh, fight from this past weekend and kind of where Floyd goes from there. Uh, a couple other quick housekeeping things. Uh, guestfoxfootball at gmail.com. Please play with us. I think I did announce last week that Fox Sports has joined us as a partner in this game and will be providing prizes to the winners. It's not too late to play. Just guess who you think is going to announce each of the Fox football games each week, which broadcasting team is going to be assigned each game. Uh, Kenny Albert was on last week's podcast and provided plenty of uh, plenty of predictions and, and, yeah, yeah. And, and hints for players of this game. And I've noticed that not everyone has got Kenny's game right this week. Hmm. And that just means that for some reason people playing don't want to listen to our show because he said exactly where he would be this <laughs> week. Um, but – uh. At, uh, send your guesses, guessfoxfootball.com. We're playing this game in partner with Ken Fang's great sports media blog, fangsbikes.com. Uh, so definitely do that. Um, you know what? We got a lot to get to, so let's get started with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, we're going to try something new for football this week because we went way long last week. I typed one minute timer into Google and conveniently. Google gives you a one-minute timer. So we're going to hit every game with a hard out on the game at one minute. So when you hear the annoying ding. PTI style? Yeah, I guess so. We'll move on to the next one. We're going to be a little more hard with the timer, I think, here. All right. Game one, Thursday. Yeah, Jets, Patriots. This was an awful display of NFL football. Yeah, no fun at all. Thursday night games, even when they look good on paper, they just don't work out. It must be the short week and all that. This one, you kind of knew with where the Patriots are with their roster and kind of where the Jets are with their team in general that this one might not be great, and it, it, was, a, it was a stinker. Yeah, I mean, I guess the takeaway here is the Jets' D is still good, as bad as their offense is. And yeah, Rex Ryan Brady, and Coach D. As good as Brady is, I mean, he's 2-0, and with, but he's out of sync with his receivers. I mean, I don't even know if we need to go the full minute on that. Game. I think the thing to keep in mind is that they're 2-0 and with two division wins at their worst, yep. and they're going to get better. Yep, they're, they're going to win 13 to. games again yep. and then win the division. Yeah. All right, reset the clock, move on to game two, Bills-Panthers. Uh, not a great game for E.J. Manuel. I mean, he threw for almost 300 yards, but 80 of that came on the last drive. But he was good when it counted. They won in the end. Terrible coaching again by the Panthers displayed. This as guy, soon, As soon as they lined up for that field goal, I said, thank God. 
because yeah. and if I'm a Bills fan and they're lining up for a field goal to go up six and I'm excited, then they're doing something wrong. Two and two and fourteen under this coach in games decided by seven points or less. That's not just bad luck. At some point, that's bad coaching. And they have a week four bye, and it would not shock me if he's he not fine. on the sidelines to coach week five, especially if they lose this week. I think they have a tough matchup too. I don't remember off the top of my head, but, but uh, you know, look at. I think I'm to this point. I love Buffalo. Everyone who I love loves the Bills. There's no reason to not, for me, they're not a rival of my team. So there's no reason on Sundays, especially when they're playing someone who's in my division. No. All right. All right. <laughs> they're a fun team, though. Yeah, uh, good for them. Rams-Falcons. Uh, this game wasn't as close as the score. The Falcons got up to, I think, a 17 or 21 nothing lead before the Rams even scored. Did and, you see uh, any of this? Some of it. Bradford whipped a screen pass at a running back. I mean, I think they were maybe I didn't see that. three feet apart, and Bradford whipped it at him, and it, he didn't catch it with his hands, and it bounced off his pads right into the arms of OCU and Yura for a pick six, and that was basically the, the game. Yeah, I, I don't know what to think about this team this year. I've said right out. They're going to battle. They did fight the whole way. The Rams' D is okay. Uh doesn't help when the offense is giving up points, but uh, Falcons' run game didn't look very good without Jackson in there. No, and Jackson's going to miss, gonna some, miss time. some weeks, yep. and I, I think that would be a concern if I was a Falcons fan. Yeah, and Roddy White is still playing, but he's not. I mean, he's out there, but he he probably shouldn't be. I don't know why they're marching him out there against teams like the Rams. Julio Jones is a beast. He is a beast. All right, on to the next game: Vikings Bears. Uh, Tight game all day. The Bears probably got lucky to get away with one here. Poor Adrian. Yeah, Adrian Peterson, 100 yards, does everything he can. Christian Ponder completes barely half his passes again. <laughs> 16 to 30. Yeah. A awful, awful pick. And I think he had more than one. But What are they waiting for with this guy? I mean, they, there was even a report floating out there that he was going to be on a short leash, shorter than usual. Yeah. But he still stuck up the joint and still got the whole game. So I don't, I don't know. I'd be... I, if you're the Bears' defense, you have to be a little bit worried, I suppose. I think one of the Vikings' scores was a defensive score, but still, that's... No, two of them. They oh, had a, okay, they had a kickoff then. return for a touchdown. That's right. The first round pick, kickoff, Cordero Patterson. Patterson. right? And then they had a fumble return for a touchdown. Okay, so, so maybe, that's 14 maybe you shouldn't points worry right there. Yeah. so much there. Anything else on that game? Poor Adrian. Yeah. He's not going to rush for 2,500 yards this year. Nope. Uh, he wants to, but... Redskins-Packers, another game that... It wasn't even that close on the scoreboard, but was not as close as the 18-point deficit. Uh, they were up 24 nothing at the half. Packers kind of packed it in. Uh, what happened to the Redskins' defense? Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, 34 for 42 for 480 yards and four TDs. And he game. had like 350 of those at halftime. I mean, he could have put up record numbers if they wanted. If this was a team coached by Pete Carroll, right. they would have blown them out. And they might have got 100. Aaron Rodgers would have been in the record books. But uh, na- nasty, nasty, real quick, uh, number 31. I can't remember his name. He ended up knocking himself out. Dirty, dirty hit on... Uh, Eddie Lacy on the right. first carry. Lacy's going to miss time with a concussion. Now. Yep, and the uh, player, I can't remember his name, from uh, the Redskins. Merriweather. Merriweather. Yep, no suspension, up, just fine. Which is partially probably because he ended up knocking himself out later in the game. Uh, Dolphins-Colts, this was a tight game. 
Colts are showing the regression we thought we might see from them. That's yeah, two home games to start against Oakland and Miami, and they split them, and they were lucky to split them. Yep, and there was a lot of analytics last year that said that they were lucky last year too. They won a lot of close games, and uh, that can be the difference between six and ten, ten and six in the NFL. They can't protect luck, and that's the problem. Cause, right, because luck is good enough to win these close games, but you're putting an unneeded burden on him when you can't protect him at all. Yeah, and their their defense just doesn't look very good either. You, uh, the Dolphins are two and zero. What do you? Is this a team? We thought they would be better too. And Tannehill looks a lot better. I think they've played the Browns and Colts. They have. So I mean, you can only play the teams on your schedule. Uh, this week will be the test. I think they play in Atlanta. So the next two weeks they play at Atlanta. home against Atlanta and then at New Orleans on Monday night. Yeah, I don't need them to win either of those games. But if they're impressive in those games, then that's progress. Yep, and then Baltimore. So big yeah, tough big three weeks before the bye. Cowboys Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs defense is for real. Uh, I don't know about their offense. You'd like to see them put up a little more points in an Andy Reid. I thought it'd be better. Yeah, yeah. You'd like to see a little bit more from Alex Smith, Andy Reid, uh, Jamal Charles, but especially against the Cowboys who won but got torched kind of by the the Giants. But a win's a win. They're two and zero. They they could be a playoff team. I think sure. for sure. Cowboys got to worry about their running game. DeMarco Murray is just going nowhere. 12 carries, 25 yards. That's a really bad average. Yeah, their offensive line isn't very good in Dallas. Yep, that's a, another guy. Romo is always running for his life. And um, Des Bryant's a man. Des Bryant is a man, for sure. Yep. I don't have much more about that no, game. I'm good. All right, moving on. Uh, Chargers-Eagles. Boy, the Eagles were the sexy team in the league after Monday night. And then they go out. Can't they can't defend, stop anybody. Right? They yeah. can't defend. 30 points against, and uh, all of a sudden, Phillip Rivers looks kind of like the guy they drafted, uh, which is weird. I don't know who would have saw that coming. Yeah, somewhat of a revival. Antonio Gates with almost 100, 124 yards and eight catches. Uh, and LaShawn McCoy, who had a great day, couldn't get anything going. So, just an odd game. Yeah, I want to see more of this Eagles team. I'm not sure if I'm where I, you know, where some people were after Monday, where some people are now, somewhere in between. I don't know what I think about them yet. I want to see more of them. Yeah, I would agree. Chargers with Chargers are probably the one team in the league that's much better than I thought. Sure. Yeah, much better I mean, than I thought they'd be. Their offense is for sure. Yeah. Uh, tough division for them. Next game: Browns Ravens. Ugh. Boy, the Browns. The Browns' defense is going to keep a lot of games close, but their offense just can't do anything. Brandon Whedon's going to miss time. I don't know if that even really hurts them. Yeah, he hurt his, hit his hand on a helmet, right? That's like the scariest QB injury Yeah, because that can happen right anytime. Jordan Cameron, their tight end, still looks legit. Yeah, he's they, a stud. They get back... Uh, uh, Gordon? Jo- yeah, Josh Gordon. Mm-hmm. Okay, making sure there's another Gordon receiver. But yeah, they get back Josh Gordon from suspension, so hopefully that helps... And uh, Richardson really needs to be Adrian Peterson in that offense, and he just can't. Only average it. Only average three point two yards of carry in this game. Not good enough. Uh, but the Ravens might have a good good rush defense. I mean, they they shut the the Broncos running backs down, and who you could yeah. say not a great team of running backs there. But now they do it to uh, Cleveland as well. And Richardson is a talent. So, yeah. Uh, and if you're a Baltimore fan, you got your Super Bowl last year, but you got to be worried. The Titans and Texans. Titans, another team that uh, 
I don't know how much better they are than people thought, but they better. play people close, and their defense is tough. And Texans aren't as good as last year. Texans are the first team in the NFL history to win their first two games in the last five seconds. Yeah, really? They're on the last play. Last play? Something like that, yeah. Uh, the kicker had to kick the ball five times to eventually... Or no, he never even ended up kicking the winner. He missed it. Yeah, it went... How did it go? It went... He made it, but got iced. Uh, then he missed it, but there was a penalty, which moved him up five yards. Right. And then he missed it again, but some something happened. They iced him again, maybe. It was blocked. Oh, that's right. It yeah. It was blocked. But that was offside. Right. And then he... he uh, hit the upright. Yeah. But yeah, uh, weird. If you're a fantasy owner, Matt Schaub's doing really well, and Arian Foster is not so much. That's weird situation there. Uh, moving along, as we're going to hit the timer. I wonder there. if Ben Tate's going to steal steal Maybe. more and more carries each week. He looks good. Yep, Lions Cardinals. Uh, this is your Lions, I guess. I, I every year they're kind of like a neat pick or kind of like a. I can't everyone's believe they didn't pick. win this game, especially after the bad Palmer pick six. I can't believe they didn't win yep. this game. Yeah, Matt. Matthew Stafford, there were all sorts of stats at the beginning of the year. The one glaring one was that he never beats winning teams. And I'm not going to suggest that the Cardinals are winning teams, but this is just the type of game that if you're a winner, like if you're a you, – you pull this out. You know what I mean? And the Reggie it, Bush injury didn't help. No, no. Because he's such a big part of the game plan. And when you take that part of the game plan out, you know, and Calvin Johnson had a great game in this game. Yep. But, uh, you know – what what he had one catch that went seventy yards. So if you take that play out, you know you're down to a forty yard day and five catches. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's hit two TDs still, but uh, that's what Patrick Peterson will do, I guess. Yeah, exactly. The Saints and Bucks. This is another game where uh, this game was played in the mud. Yeah, is it, that it all was, it was? I rain? mean, look at there was a two hour, not quite that long, a long yep. lightning delay, and the Bucks have a good defense. I'll tell you what. This isn't breaking ground here. Darrell Revis is damn freaking good at football. Yep. Um, and uh, the Bucks defense looks pretty good. Their offense is horrible, and Greg Schiano is a joke. Uh, an absolute yeah, joke. Yeah. Uh, Breeze made his worst pass as a Saint. I've seen them all, and I've never <laughs> seen one as bad as the one. Yeah, I texted you right yeah, after in that. In the pick six. It was just a bad throw, and whatever. Forget it. He made the throws when he needed to on the last drive. And we get, you know, when you play a division game on the road in this league, sometimes you just need to win and get the hell out of there and move on. And I think it, you can almost say the same thing about the saints that you could say about the Patriots. They probably haven't played their best two games of their season, but they're two and O and two and O in the division. So yeah. And now they get the Cardinals and the dolphins at home. Yeah. So if you can win those two games, you're four and O we were on four last year. They didn't win their second game last year till the end of October. Yep, they're in good shape. Jags, Raiders, boy, who yikes. cares? Uh, yikes. <laughs> Jaguars, yikes. That That is a terrible, terrible team. There. That got worse with Jones Drew going out, so yeah. they don't have him. Uh, Henny didn't help things much, uh, and they play Seattle this week. I don't know really what to add to that. Daryl McFadden, or Darren McFadden had a nice day, and Pryor won his first game, I guess. So Yeah, if you're the Raiders, you got to win it. They won it. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's you got to win that one at home. That that's your last and second last place team in the league, right there, right? Yeah, pretty I, close. Yeah. And if uh, the Jaguars, pretty cool, they're staying out west this week. They're like, screw it, we're not going home after that. We'll stay in the hotel <laughs> all week because they play Seattle this week, so they're just gonna stay out it, there. And that big that, Tebow rally in front of the stadium yesterday, twenty people they drew for that. Yeah, and fifty reporters or something <laughs> like that. What a, what a joke. Yeah. All right, moving uh, on. Uh, Broncos, Giants, the Broncos. Rainbow. Yeah, Manning Bowl. Uh, 
Eli and falls to 0-3, and, yep. and uh, Peyton just had his day. And Broncos look really, really good, and the Giants don't. Broncos doing this without Miller. Yep. Right? They're already two of the six games. Yeah, you could say the same thing about like the Saints, the Patriots. They've played, well, although the Broncos looked really impressive, but they're going to get better, too. So uh, that's the best team in the league. Right now, they're, they're number one in any power rankings I'm going to do. Either that or Seattle, but uh, yeah, I mean that that's the odds-on favor for the Super Bowl. I would say right now. What are the Broncos, Giants Seattle. doing? They only give Wilson seven carries a guy, and like you realize that that's all you have. Yep, that you're not going to win without that guy. So try it. Tom Coughlin is such a crotchety old man stupid. and uh, stupid. Yeah, I mean we'll get to that on fantasy, I'm right. sure, but he's almost unstartable. With Coughlin right yeah. now. Uh, moving on, 49ers-Seahawks. Maybe the surprise game of the week. It started exactly how you'd think. Uh, just smash mouth in your face. Nobody moving. A lot of punting. 5 nothing at the half. Yep. Another long rain delay. Rain delay. And then uh, Seattle just took it over. Marshawn Lynch in particular. I mean, his yards per carry weren't great, but... Uh, Two TDs. Two TDs, one receiving TD to add to that. Great great day for him. You knew him. there wasn't going to be a lot of offense in this game, but the Seahawks did what they do, including challenging a play they didn't need to challenge in the last minute of the game. <laughs> the only surprise is they didn't do play-action post after that to they're, try to score another touchdown. But, yeah, they're really good. And so are the 49ers. On the 49ers, look at We lost our toughest road game of the year. We'll get that one when they get to our place, and we'll go from there. Yeah, San Francisco is going to have to win that division because they can't beat Seattle in Seattle. And uh, like you said, I mean, you didn't say it in these words. Seattle's kind of hateable. And oh, they're I, the most hateable team in the league. I, I don't. I'm not even a fan like of anybody in that there. other conference. Last game Monday night, another stinker. Uh, the Bengals did what they had to do. Their defense looked good. I'm not sure what that says against. The Steelers, Steelers are, can't are attack. bad, bad Can't run, team. can't pass. Roethlisberger's running for his life. Uh, yeah, they're missing Mike Wallace a little bit there. They And they're missing a run game. Felix Jones, their leading rusher that game with 37 yards. So that is a bad, bad team. Uh, we know we have friends in Pittsburgh. They have uh, go Pirates. Super Bowl videos yeah. they can watch. Yeah, yeah the Pirates it. to watch. So, okay, that – was presumably better than last week. One last week. thing about the Bengals. Sure. Do you think that they're maybe not as good as you thought? Did they look not that great to you? You know what? I didn't watch a lot of it. I didn't have a lot of fantasy interest in this game, and it was just boring. Uh, they didn't look great to me. Uh, Dalton, just no accuracy down the field. No, he's not very – yeah, I don't think he's great. So uh, yeah. Yikes. their defense is good, though. All right, uh, my second thing today. I uh, sat around and watched a lot of college football on Saturday, like probably most – Sports fans really interested to see what would go down between Alabama and Texas A&M. And basically what went down is a 49-42 to game that was a, it was a track meet. Points everywhere. Texas A&M jumps out to the 14 nothing lead. Johnny Football looks like the best player to ever yep. play the game. <laughs> uh, he gets them down into the red zone, throws a, a pick. And uh, Texas, a, uh, Texas A&M just couldn't stop Alabama when they needed a stop. And uh, Alabama gets out of there with, you know, Texas A&M got a touchdown in the last couple seconds there. But uh, really the story of the day, I think, was Mike Evans, who had almost 300 yards receiving and looks like the next beast wide receiver to come out of college football. Uh, He's going to make someone really excited on Sundays. And I think Johnny Manziel uh, proves time and time again that even though he's a punk off the field, he's one hell of a football player on it. Uh, So really interesting game there. And uh, another big thing in college football this week is, 
Texas is really bad, and they fired their uh, AD or he resigned or whatever, and Mac Brown probably not going to make it out of that season as the coach, or if he does, probably won't be back next year. But we'll talk more college football in a bit with uh, Dan Wilkin. All right, my second thing this week, hockey preseason started this week. And before you say who cares, because I know hockey is kind of a niche sport as it is, uh, hockey preseason is kind of cool because it's the opposite of the NFL preseason. In the NFL preseason, you watch half a game, three-quarters of a game to see players that you'll probably never see again. College or minor hockey or what should I call it, amateur hockey and amateur football, like college football is totally different. College football you see the best of the best, and when those guys get drafted, they get slotted right in, and they're usually a factor right away. In NHL, sometimes you draft 18-year-olds, and then you have to wait five years before they make an impact. So the preseason's where you get to see these guys, and some of them can crack the lineup, but other ones it's just kind of cool to see uh, who might be coming down the pike a uh, year or two down the road. So we're going to talk mostly about football, and that's the longest thing, but short little thing. If, you got, if you're a hockey fan and you're looking – Watch the preseason games if, if you get them or if you can stream them somewhere or go to them because you're going to see guys you might not see for a few years. Fans in Florida probably taking your advice. They packed the place uh, for the Panthers in Nashville yesterday, afternoon game. I heard they had about 20 people, literally. Wow. <laughs> they did a split squad afternoon doubleheader. Why and does it, Florida there's have... There's pictures out there. The guy who took him said there was more players there than people. Wow, that's, a, that's I don't know what they got at night. But. Why do they have three football teams and two hockey teams? No idea. Who knows? My last thing today. L.A. has zero uh, football teams. So. Right. Something that makes no sense to me is they're, we're trying in New Jersey to legalize sports gambling, uh, but the state's betting laws conflict uh, with federal laws or I don't know, something, but... The third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Philadelphia and the state uh, couldn't work anything out to allow this. Uh, there was an appellate ruling, two to one majority. Uh, so that means there isn't going to be legal gambling in New Jersey, which means Tony Soprano and his crew will continue to supply the sports gamblers with the lines and take the bets and they'll do it online, offshore, whatever they're going to do. And the state isn't going to be able to earn any more money. Uh, through this taxable income, and I, I don't get it. I don't either, and uh, fitting that the, the goofy, upbeat music kind of ends there. My last thing is not a happy thing, and unfortunately it happens all too often. So sad. This time it's close to home. Da- uh, Damon Janes, 16-year-old kid from Brockton Central High School, died uh, in a Buffalo, New York hospital three days after a helmet-to-helmet injury he suffered in a football game he after the hit he got up walked off the field and collapsed on the sideline and never woke up uh like i said this hits close to home because it is our home but deadspin has put out some numbers that there's been 25 high school players that have died from injuries from 2003 to 2013 that's 10 years 25 kids dead 78 kids with irreversible brain damage 71 with catastrophic cervical injuries and uh i have a little girl so i won't have to face this decision i'm not sure i'd allow my kid to play football until they figure it out the nfl has got a problem with it and obviously high school does too and uh they need to fix it Our next guest is from Hot Springs, Arkansas, and is a graduate of Vanderbilt University. 
He covers college football for the USA Today and is nice enough to make his sixth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Dan Wilkin. What's going on today, Dan? Hey, not too much. How are you? You know, it's kind of funny, and you kind of like have transitioned from being this guy that we became really interested in because you were doing this different, unique kind of thing in the sports writing business with the iPad and, and the daily into uh, being this guy that we've kind of called upon to talk about college football with us the last two or three times you've been on the show. And I was thinking about it today because we kind of joke around with some of the other guys who come on for college football, like uh, uh, Andy Staples and um, um, Stuart Mandel and uh, a couple other guys, that it seems like every time we reach out to them, it's to talk about whatever the hot new scandal is in college football. But yet it seems like for whatever reason, whenever I, I reach out to you for this purpose, it's to actually talk about college football. And I don't, I don't know why that is. Maybe just coincidence or I, I'm not sure. But uh, I guess it's probably cooler for you, right? I mean, generally speaking, you'd much rather talk about college football in terms of the field and the races and the games than the, uh, than the scandals, right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, both are interesting. <laughs> the, I, I think the word scandal to me is always misused in this context because to me a scandal is uh, you know um uh, a scandal is is doctors you know uh leaving leaving instruments in their patients during surgery uh, you know a scandal is uh misuse of public funds um you know a scandal is, is people uh, uh you know, operating uh, machinery that they're not qualified for um, because it's cheap labor. You know that that kind of thing. I mean, to me, that's a scandal. This is sports, and and so I think the word gets misused. I just think in entry when there are things going on beyond the field of play, and people are more interested in overarching issues, and uh, there's a lot of different little ways to express it and to. Um, to sort of get at, but you know the amount of investigative reporting that's gone into college sports lately, I, I don't, I don't think it's bad. And I think honestly, when when you're in this position and uh, you, you talk to people all over the country, it's, it's. I, I think people are either you know, sort of they can see they're fatigued by it or, or tired of it. Uh, I, I think they generally engage more over those more controversial topics than than the actual games. Well, you know, last week it was maybe the most interesting or most certainly the most anticipated uh, September college football game of the season. Just curious, you know, what were your thoughts on uh, the highest scoring uh, affair between Texas A&M and, and Alabama? It was a good game for sure. It was, um, you know, Alabama, they, they seem to be able to win any kind of game. And that's the really impressive part of the program, uh, and and they're so well coached. Uh, they, they get better with the week. Having that week off before the end game, they were really able to um, address a lot of the issues that had caught the opener against Virginia Tech, and uh, and you know where they were not going uh, line. They were going to come back two weeks later and. And they dominate uh, on the offensive line against A and M. So you have to really respect that about Alabama's program and and being able to win a style of game um, was another weakness. I think you can 
you can make a case that last year's spread teams really gave them a problem, and uh, certainly in them gave them some, some problems. But after the first quarter, they never won the game where I felt like Alabama wasn't in control, and so that was very impressive. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that, and when you when the game the whole game plays out, and and it's kind of at the end, almost the big. You could you could almost argue that the difference in the game was the red zone interception that Manziel threw that the CBS broadcasters kind of kind of got a little out of control. I thought about saying you know he got cocky or whatever. I don't know if it was that as much as just a maybe even a bad play call. I'm never really a big fan of the fade, but talk a little bit about Manziel in in the first really big game that he's played since the crazy summer that he's had post post Heisman. Well, Manziel's come back and he's, he's played very well. And I think myself and I have a good question. And what was he doing in the summer and was he preparing himself properly? Uh, and, and he clearly has, has done a good job uh, of being in the right mindset. And he's just such a great character. Um, and you have to respect the way he plays and, and the way he, he competes. But... Uh, you know, there is the other side of, of playing the way he plays, and you know, it's a little bit of Brett Favre. It's sort of a, a combination of Doug Flutie and Brett Favre in terms of his style. Um, and it's going to, at some point, hurt you on uh, you know, like Alabama. Um, he threw a number of very risky passes in that game. I don't know that that's because of having a bad offseason or getting cocky. I just think that's sort of... His, his style, that's sort of the way he plays. Um, and we've seen it before with a lot of other quarterbacks. And so you, when you play that way, you are going to make mistakes at times. And uh, that was that interception in the end was not good. But also that, that completion, at, uh, the crazy middle-of-the-field completion, I mean, that's a terrible decision. Uh, it just worked out. And so you, we're going to see a lot of that from him, I think, going forward. Yeah, that, that... – crazy incredible play is like almost like everything you're not supposed to do as a quarterback when you throw the ball down the field in some degree but like you said that's him uh, Mike Evans is a guy who kind of had a big coming out party in the game I mean I knew he was a good player I guess maybe I didn't realize he was that good um is he maybe the guy when we look back at this game when everyone's NFL career is over that we say maybe had one of the best if not the best career in the, in the next level I'm sorry are you seeing who we're talking about um did I, did I about the uh, the receipt? Oh, so Mike Evans. Yeah, yeah, Evans. Yeah, I said that right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he he was very impressive. Yeah, you know, I guess last year he was he was sort of injured. Um, but he's a big big target and he's he's fast. And, uh. Yeah, he looks like he looks like a big time prospect. No question. Yeah. Um. So Alabama clearly has established themselves as the number one team in the nation right now. As we stand, they they were the number one team coming in. They got a huge, huge signature road win in conference now in the what people consider to be the best conference in football. Uh, is there any other games on this schedule that, obviously, I'm sure there is in the SEC, but is there one or two in particular that you look at as as other big moments in their season that they're going to need to get through to, to get to another national championship game? Uh, the schedule becomes fairly manageable from here on out, and to get LSU at home, that's obviously going to be a very difficult game. Uh, when you look at the history of that series, LSU won in Tuscaloosa two years ago. Alabama won in Denver's last year in a very, uh, very difficult comeback. So um, 
that's a great series and two really good teams. We'll have to uh, we'll have to see where they where they're at with the playing number. Ole Miss can maybe give them some problems, but again, that's a home game. Uh, you'd expect Alabama to win that one. Um, the schedule, yeah, it really opened up for them now. They, they should have everything under control. Uh, and, then, and then you get to Atlanta and, and, and play uh, somebody, probably Georgia, in the SEC championship game. And I, you know, it's, not, it's never easy to win all. It's never easy to be perfect. At some point there may be a, a slip-up or, um, you know, just a bad game or whatever, but they, they look awful strong and, uh, I certainly, I certainly like their chances at this point. You know, it seems like in this system, it's kind of like, well, the national championship game is going to be the winner of the SEC versus someone else. Uh, sometimes in in this uh, last few years, it's been another SEC team. But kind of as things are starting to take shape here early, who are some other? Is is Oregon right now the team that you would kind of focus on, or is it maybe a someone? I think I heard said earlier, it's almost like a battle between Oregon and Stanford for that other spot. Yeah, well, the winner of that Stanford Oregon game is going to be right in the mix. But, you know, there's other teams, too. I mean, don't, you can't discount the idea that a Washington or, or a UCLA um, could, could muddy the waters. And so I don't think it's going to be just totally straightforward in the back 12. Uh, there's there's a lot of good teams in that league that I think could win on a, on a given night. Arizona State could, you know, could come up and beat one of those teams. So, I just don't think it's it's quite as simple as the winner of that game, um, because the way that, you know the way this ended up at the end of the year, uh, it's it's <laughs> you have to consider all the all the factors and when people lose, it's who did they lose against, and a lot of times there's not a there's not an obvious answer. It's just sort of what the momentum is, and I think you have to throw uh, either Clemson or Florida State in that mix. Uh, they're able to they're play each other, uh, but if they're able to enter the uh, ACC pretty clean otherwise, and then uh, there's no question that they're going to be in the mix. Um, it doesn't look this point like the Big 12 is going to have a championship contender. Uh, and it would take something from out of the blue. And then, you know, then you've got Ohio State and Michigan, and uh, people do a lot. Uh, a lot less confident in Michigan after the Akron game than they did before, but um, there's no question that, that that's that's going to have to be considered. So. You know, we talked a lot about, the, uh, about a lot of the teams that are, are kind of going well right now, but another kind of part of September football is seeing the teams that maybe aren't as good as we thought or teams that are struggling, and you're headed to Texas this week, and they've had kind of a really crazy month and they have a, they're going to have a new athletic director and the, the status of their coach is, is debated over and over again and also something that's been going around is, is people kind of like focusing in on some of the recruiting mistakes that they perceive that they have made with especially with at the quarterback position I know it's it's kind of a, a thing of I guess rumor out there that they only offered Manziel as a a cornerback and you know the Florida State quarterback who's playing really well is another guy who they I guess didn't even call back. What's going on in Texas, and is there anything Mac Brown can do to kind of stick around once a new AD gets in there? Well, a couple of things. For one, for one thing, there's a lot of speculation that at this point maybe a little premature. The uh, lost out has said he's not going to step down. Uh, doesn't plan at this time, uh, so that's kind of unclear. Uh, and, and I think you know that may turn out to be true, but. 
to announce it at this point in the season might send the the wrong sort of signal about Mac Brown's future. And yeah, so there's a lot of things swirling at Texas. Um, they've clearly uh, gotten themselves in a situation now where they've got to um, they've got to win or else, or else that it's going to be time for major changes. And I don't think. Um, the fans that are going to stand for status quo unless they show some significant progress and, and win the Big 12. And looking at their team, looking at the way they play defense, that's going to be really, really, really hard to do. Um, it's just, you know, it's just, it, it's just not a very good team right now. It's not a very good defense. They can't stop people. Uh, they don't play the read option very well. Um, all those sorts of things are, are problematic for them. Um, and how did they get to this point? I mean, there's a long story there, and it's really how any program falls to this point. You have um, a number of recruiting mistakes. Players don't pan out the right way. Uh, there's there may be some coaching issues. They've had turnover on their staff that you know maybe they haven't hired the right people. It's not just one thing, uh, and to pin it all on a quarterback recruitment or anything like that is a little a little simplistic. Um, you're talking about a program that's gone from being in the national championship game to very, very average uh, almost instantaneously and being unable to, to get back into, into the race. Um, that, that's more than one player or one recruitment. That's, that's an entire staff uh, problem that, um, you know, it's just sort of hard to pin on one thing. And, and clearly... Uh, uh, clearly, they've had issues, and and it, it does start to get to a point where it's hard to fix. And they may be at that point right now. And 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 if it if they are, that's too bad because because Mac Brown has been has done great things for Texas, and he's been um, uh, you know he he's he's one of the I won't say he's one of the greatest coaches of all time because I think that's unfair, um, but. The run he had, and you know, over an eight nine year period until this last uh, slip up, was a pretty special run where few few programs in the country were were even in in Texas's area code. Yeah, he didn't make any mistakes when he was recruiting Vince Young. That's for sure. It seems like well, that, no, I mean yeah. Vince Young obviously turned out great, <laughs> right. but a, a lot of the decline in Texas football started when they put all their eggs in the in the Garrett Gilbert basket and. You know, you can look back on it and say, "Well, how did they not know that Garrett Gilbert was going to be a bust?" Well, you know, Garrett Gilbert was ranked the number two quarterback in his recruiting class in the country, uh, and was from right outside of Austin, and um, everybody in the country wanted him, and nobody saw him being a bust. So, it's it's hard. It's it and it highlights how good they were for for so long, um, where they didn't make those kind of mistakes. Did you get a chance to look at the uh, five-part report that Sports Illustrated did on Oklahoma State? Oh, yeah. Read every word of it. What are your thoughts? Do you think this is something that – I mean, there's, it seems like there's overwhelmingly two opinions on this. There's one of, you know, there's some serious infractions in there. This is going to be a huge fallout. This is something that – what a great job. What great investigative reporting. And then there's this other thing of, like, well, this writer is an Oklahoma graduate, one of the writers, and he's got a bias, and this is, you know, dirty writing or something like that. You know, like, you've read it. What, what are your thoughts, and what do you think the impact, more importantly, is what do you think the impact will be on college football and specifically Oklahoma State? 
Well, I, I think that there are some problems with with the report. Um, I thought by far the most impactful part of the series was the the last story, um, where it sort of detailed the the idea or, or tackled the idea that guys who for whatever reason, didn't make it at Oklahoma State, whether it was academics or drugs or injuries or whatever, um, that once they left, they were basically just discarded and and uh, sent, you know, sent away. And um, there was never any real pretense that they were anything more than guys who were being used and chewed up and spit out by the system. And that's that's an issue. That's an issue in college athletics that probably needs more attention. Uh, and, and to me, that was by far the most compelling part of the piece um, or of the series. I don't think there's specific things that were reported that are going to be problematic for uh, Oklahoma State on an NCAA level. Um, I, I really don't. Uh, it, it certainly does not make them look good. It doesn't make Mike Gundy look good. If you take it as a whole, there's certainly um, – there's certainly things that I think they need to address culturally within their program. And, and I understand that the idea behind it was to shine a light on problems in college football as a whole through the prism of one school that has been successful, um, as opposed to saying, well, these violations were are, are what's going on at, at Oklahoma State and nowhere else. So I I get it. Um, I think that some of the reporting was maybe a little too anecdotal and, and didn't. It, it relied too much on the recollection of players who um, who weren't who didn't complete their four years, and you know it's, it had been a while, and, and sometimes memories get fuzzy, and you know that sort of anecdotal reporting isn't always quite as, as impactful as 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 documentation and uh, uh, numbers and you know stuff you get through a Freedom of Information Act request. So I don't really know how impactful it was going to be. I don't, I don't think the public really thought it was all that impactful. Um, and, uh, you know, I, to, to, it's hard for me to sit here and assess what, what the fallout is going to be because I just don't know that there's going to be any. You know, it's kind of interesting. I, I don't know if you thought this too. It's kind of interesting to me that before it had been released, there was these – Stories like, well, you know, SI has presented what they have to Oklahoma State, and there's quotes like, well, we, we knew this day would come, or, or, you know, things like this. It was like, wow, this is going to be huge. And then it came out, and it all of a sudden was almost more about SI than the story itself. And I, I just was, I was kind of taken off guard by that. Yeah, well, you know, I, I <laughs> it, it goes to the problem of hyping and, and promoting, which we all sort of feel like we have to do now to a certain extent. Um, my personal policy is to uh, under-promise and over-deliver instead of over-promise and under-deliver. And I think that Sports Illustrated sort of set themselves up in a position where the the expectations were for what they had were were sky high. And when and then once you do that, you, the sort of the the Twitterati's as I as I call as I call them um, are basically going to spend the next you know, week poking holes in it and shooting it down and saying it's, it, it's, it's not as uh, good as, as expected. So um, my personal policy on it is don't, don't advertise it ahead of time. Sportscasts are here with Dan Wilkin, finishing up with the uh, sports writer from the USA Today. He covers college football there. And, of course, you can find him on Twitter at Dan Wilkin, 
W-O-L-K-E-N. Always been a great friend of the show. We always appreciate his time. So last thing, we kind of were past the the uh, Texas A&M-Alabama thing, which is what we all were talking about pretty much all offseason. Uh, now now what do you have circled? What are the, the games or moments or, or things going forward here that you're most looking forward to in the, in the college football season as we move forward? Um. You know, that's a good question. Uh, this weekend's slate is not particularly good. Uh, the weekend after that, LSU-Georgia is, is going to be a pretty key game to, I think, sort out who, who's, who's, who's number two behind Alabama. Uh, I, think, uh, uh, I, think that's, uh, you know, I think that's sort of the, the question in the SEC. Um, a lot of the good teams in the Pac-12 sort of play each other the next few weeks. Arizona State, Stanford, uh, Washington, Stanford. Um, so we're going to get a lot more separation in the Pac-12. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and Baylor keeps lurking in, in the Big 12, moving up the rankings. They don't play a real tough schedule early, but they're racking up a ton of yards. And uh, they're, they're pretty good. They're for real. And I'm sort of anticipating they're going to be 7-0 and hosting Oklahoma uh, on, on uh, I think, the first Saturday in November. So those are sort of the things on my radar right now. Dan, thanks so much for the time. We always appreciate it. No problem. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Steven Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonet Ocho Cinco, TJ Pushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. All right, thanks to Dan Wilkin from the USA Today for joining us on the program. Really appreciate that. Love talking college football with Dan, who did have somewhat of a suspect connection in the beginning there. Sorry about that, but it does improve as the interview goes on if you kind of bailed on it because it wasn't the best connection in the first couple of minutes. All right, uh, five on fantasy, two weeks in. How are your teams doing so far, Don? Not good, Yeah, actually. I- I'm having a rough time in uh both leagues i like my teams though and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of help out there like sometimes if you're a bad team there's some surefire guy like maybe i'm trying to think who was a guy alfred at, morris last yeah year? alfred morris right off the bat that you can pick up and it's like okay my team's turning around the weird thing about the nfl this year is as valuable as those running backs seemed there's not like a running back that's running away with it the teams that are doing really well are the teams that drafted like deshaun jackson and i don't have him in any leagues so I, I think I'm one and three in the two money leagues, and I'm one and one in the uh, listener league. Yeah, I'm two and zero oh in the in the sportscasters league, and that's my best team so far. I'm in three pay leagues, and I'm one and one, one and one, and zero oh and two. Your league's the one I'm struggling in the most, but I think I just got to stick with it. I like the team. Yeah. I just it's just not there. Yet. And David Wilson's killing me right now. Yeah, if you drafted David Wilson, you're probably people. in trouble. Yeah. Uh, Lamar Miller. Is had an okay second. At least he got a score, right? Right. Yeah, but uh, let's do starts and sits, and then we're going to do some pickups, and then we're going to talk about if we're going to drop some guys or if we're going to wait. All right. For the sake of time, uh, I know in the past we'd gone back over and said how well we did or yeah, how prob- poorly we did. We probably won't do that. If you want to call us out for something Go ahead. on email, yeah, call sportscasters us out. Sportscasters at gmail.com yeah. or at sports underscore casters on Twitter. That'll be funny, but otherwise yep. we're not going to go back to it. My quarterback start this week is Colin Kaepernick. If for some reason you drafted him in a backup like, I don't know, Phil Rivers, who's been doing really well, or Michael Vick, get back, get Kaepernick back in your lineup this week versus the Colts. Uh, I love teams after bad 
losses. And uh, I feel bad for the Colts this week. I would start all your 49ers. Uh, if you've got Frank Gore, he's been really disappointing. If he's going to have a good game, it's going to be this week. Anquan Bolden's going to bounce back. I love teams after bad losses and their home. Uh, there's not, there's nothing to not like about the 49ers matchup this week. My quarterback sit is a guy that if you're in a 10-team league or even a 12 and you only drafted one quarterback and this is the guy, I think you got to start looking elsewhere, and that's RG3, who I know yeah. at least has had garbage time value so far. Right. And that might be his saving grace in the sense that in both of his games, at halftime you're like, oh, no, he's going to screw me. But then by the end of the game he had done enough to be productive – the problem is, I don't know if Detroit is a team good enough to run away. Again, this could just be a really ugly game. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't know if RG3 is healthy. I just, I really don't know. There's been more and more talk each week about whether or not they're doing the right thing in starting him. I don't know. I just know if I owned him in fantasy, I'd be really worried. I'd be thinking about another option, especially this week. I just don't love the matchup against Detroit for him. Yeah, I wish I had like the Elias Sports Bureau at my disposal because his first two games he's thrown for over 320 yards both games. I don't know if he did that at all last year. He did. If you owned him last year, most of his value was in the fact that he ran for like 800 yards. He hasn't been doing that. Yeah, he hasn't done that at all. So as soon as the passing yards, the garbage time yards go away, like you said, he's going to be. And this could be the week because I don't know if Detroit without Reggie Bush is going to blow them out. Right. Uh, my running back start this week, I don't love this start, but if you're going to get him in, this might be the after this week's game might be the time to sell high on this guy, and that's no Sean Moreno. Uh, they're home at the Raiders, and I like him kind of for the opposite reason that you don't like RG3, is I think this game will be a blowout. And I'm not, if I had to bet on one of the running backs, I guess it's Moreno. Uh, this might be the first game that Monty Ball has a nice game. I just picked. I just see this team being up 17 points at halftime and then uh, taking it easy a little bit. So, or trying to figure out their run game because they haven't yet. And Moreno, Ball, Hillis, or Hillman to a lesser extent, uh, probably all have a little bit of value here. But I think Moreno is startable as a flex. Uh, one guy that's probably gotten you really good value so far for where you've probably drafted him, probably a pleasant surprise, he's not hurt yet, is Darren McFadden, a guy with a ton of talent. Um, I don't know if I'd sit him in the truest sense, but I would downgrade him a bit, and if I had a better option, I'd probably go there. They're playing Denver, and Denver's done a really good job in both of their games yeah. against the other team's running backs. They have a really good front. Um, I just, I think that in a PPR, maybe I, I'd avoid this just because McFadden has value always yeah, that's in the, what I was in the passing say. game. If it's not a PPR, I'm worried about him just because they're going to be way behind, I think. Because yep. I don't see their defense stop in Manning. And it might be a game where he only has 8 or 10 carries, and you're going to be totally dependent on whether or not he can provide for you in the passing game. Yep, that's what I was going to say exactly, is uh, if that's a wrong call on your part, it's because he gets 10 catches. And he might. Right, he very well could. But so in a PPR, I totally agree with, probably I, not. I totally rushing. agree with the rushing yards part, though. Uh, my start at wide receiver is Pierre Garçon. Um, I think this game might be a shootout. Like you said, Neither it could be ugly, but... He's been the benefit. He had a nice game last week. They kind of clicked a little bit. And RG three's got to, he's got to be getting better, right? I mean, as much as we just said, look elsewhere. Uh, someone's got to catch balls in this game. 
Morris hasn't found any running room, so I guess this is a little bit of a gut, and it's kind of piggybacking off his nice week last week. Actually, Garcon had seven catches week one, just only for 64 yards, so he's a guy that's getting a lot of touches. He looks healthy. Yep. Yeah. All right, my sit, I don't know if you're starting this guy anyway. There was a lot of uh, preseason buzz for him, and that's uh, Kenbrell Tompkins. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if you're starting him anyway, so maybe this is a little bit of a cop-out. But a couple things. One, they play Tampa, and I guess this is the guy Revis covers, right? Jeez. Because Edelman? But he works so much out uh, of the slot. and Even like on that last Saints drive, in the last play, Colston got open. And I'm like, where was Revis there? Because Revis wasn't covering Colston. It's because Colston's in on the slot, and Revis is actually on the outside on Kenny Stills on that play. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I I don't know. I'm still surprised. Can is there a reason Revis can't slide in and, and guard Colston there? I don't know. Is there a reason he couldn't? I mean, just looking at the stat line, is there a reason he couldn't guard uh, Jimmy Graham? I mean, I know Graham's a monster. They were trying but... all day with linebackers, and he was yeah, just wide yeah. open all Torched day. Him. So I don't, I don't get it. But um, this is the guy I would assume Revis is going to be on most of the time, and if Revis can do a really good job on Colston most of the game, which he did when Colston was on the outside. I don't see why he can't with Tompkins. There's a chance Gronk is back. When Gronk is back, I think all these. There's a small chance that Amendola plays, but that might be right, the he way. Practiced on Monday. Yeah, that might just be the Patriots. I mean, if you own Amendola and you own Gronk, and I own both in uh, a league or two, boy, is that that's going to be a mess. Uh, I assume never with Amendola, know, right? I could slip him in my IR slot and just kind of wait for him, but. Who knows? I mean, if they're going to have him run through practices, he's never going to get that out status that allows me to put him there. So thanks, Bill Belichick. Uh, a guy I didn't list on my starts, but I love this week, is Adrian Peterson. He's averaging a human, or he's on pace for something like 1,500 yards, which for any running back would be phenomenal. But for him, that's that's not great. They're playing a game they should be able to keep close and uh, – Kind of my thought, like I said about Kaepernick and all the 49ers, you want a guy after uh, – I think Peterson wants to go off. If you're week. not playing Peterson, you're overthinking it. Well, absolutely. <laughs> right? that, yeah, that's I, that's why I didn't list him as a start right. because you're you're playing Peterson's regardless. But he's playing the Browns. And I know the Browns' defense is good, but their offense is terrible. So Peterson will be a factor all game. He's had 44 carries, 22 a game. It's not enough. I could see him getting 25, 28 carries this game because it'll be close all day, and they shouldn't fall behind. Uh, and I just I think he goes off. People benched him or wanted to bench him the one year because he played that nasty Bears defense, and, and he went off. 200, so yep. This is that game, I think. I, so uh, I'm happily – I'm excited to see Peterson even against the tough Browns D. Any pickups for you this week? Yeah, uh, in the short term, if – Starks, right? Starks and Pierce, if Rice and uh, – Lacey aren't going to play. I don't know that either of them have much long-term value, but in one league, like I said, I'm doing kind of poorly, so if I can get Starks for one week just to get a win, it might be worth it for me. If you're in a budget situation, how much are you willing to pay for either of these guys? uh, If you own Lacey, maybe a little bit more than I would otherwise. And like I said, because I'm 0-2 in the one league, maybe a little bit more. Not a lot, probably, but... The Ray Rice owner is going to want to get Pierce if he doesn't already have him, and the Eddie Lacy owner is going to want to have Starks. If you got a hundred bucks, maybe ten bucks. I saw Stefania Bell, the ESPN injury 
uh, guru kind of said she would wager as much as $20 if she was a Lacey owner and she really needed a win because they have a nice matchup. Problem with Starks in particular is Green Bay goes on their bye after this week and then he's probably back back to being a backup. Uh, the other guy it's hard not to like, I guess, is Eddie Royal. Right. He had a hat trick last week, so and that means he's on pace for 40 TDs. Yes. Yeah, so that's not going to happen, but... But who's there, right? Do you have- Nairo Alexander has been long gone. Michael Floyd is going to miss games with that scary yep. neck injury he had, right? Yep. He's so. a guy I think that's addable in any format on any team. Uh, bye weeks are going to be coming up. So even if you're stacked and you only start two receivers, he's startable. For yeah, sure. and especially in a PPR where he's primarily, you know, he's a slot guy and, you know, he's going to get all kinds of, like, dump offs and yep. might not get as many TDs, but he's going to probably have a lot of value. I think he's probably the. The number one the guy out there. What about Donald Brown? Are you interested in him at all? He's only uh, owned at 1.3% of the league's the problem is that Bradshaw looked really good, but Bradshaw also is prone to, prone to injury. going out. I'm guessing if you drafted Vic Ballard, he wasn't going to be one of your starters, so you weren't going to handcuff him anyway. And then if you picked up Ahmad Bradshaw, you're probably Yeah, I mean, Donald Brown's only owned in 1% of leagues on ESPN.com, yeah. so he's out there. If you've got a deep wow. bench or if you're in a super deep league, then sure, why not? Uh, he's one play away from being a starter, but even when he's been the starter in the past, he's just such an average fantasy running back, if below average. Anyone else you want to mention? No, I don't have anyone. I mean, no, not really. All right, I want to ask you do one last thing here in five on fantasy. I want I got a couple guys that I, I think maybe people are panicking on and I'm going to throw another guy out and ask you if you would drop this guy for that guy. If it was available. Okay. All right. So if you have Eli Manning, yep. Would you drop him for Sam Bradford? Not if it costs me waiver priority or any sort of money. I no. Eli's going to throw it for a ton of yards. And if, Interceptions don't kill you in your league, then he's actually probably fairly valuable. He's had 812 yards through two games. So, if unless you're getting, I'm in one league that interceptions are worth like minus four a piece, touchdowns are worth six. He's probably killing you in that league, but I think you still hang on to him. Would you drop Chris Ivory, who you maybe spent a pretty five, six, seventh round pick, depending on when your draft was this year? Would you draft him for James Starks? Or a Pierce, or an, if you're if you want to get a running back that we talked about this week, and Ivory is the guy you'd have to drop, would you do it? Yeah, probably. Um, just because I'm never going to be comfortable starting Ivory anyway, and for one, if I can get one win out of it, I'm not sure that Ivory is ever going to guarantee me one win. And Starks uh, and Pierce, I think both have nice matchups this week. I know. Well, the Packers play the Bengals, so Starks isn't guaranteed to have a monster day. And who does Baltimore play? They play the Texans. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't. Ivory's got some upside, I guess. Not that the that's a that's a mess. It's <laughs> <laughs> fantasy death in, in yeah. Would you drop David Wilson or Monty Ball for anyone? No. Are you ready to give up any other of those guys? I drop Monty Ball first, but I you've got to have somebody worse. Okay. On your rot. Yeah. I mean. David Wilson might not be startable right now. Like if you've got other options, you and you want to be a little bit safe. And uh, the ESPN guys have kind of said before, if you're willing to watch him have his first good game from your bench, uh, and you won't be too mad at yourself, but you rather 
avoid the risk, then I just hang on to him. He's their, like you said before, he's their best player. Would you drop Lance Moore for Harry Douglas? Yeah, I might do that. I, I, I don't. You watch the Saints games. Maybe that, that should have been a question I had for you, but I'm. I would probably do it. Ready to drop Lance yeah, Moore. I, I, do I don't know what happened. Did he just get old? No, I don't know that he's doing anything wrong. I, I just think. You know, I mean, Jimmy Graham, Graham's the Graham's number one playing target. better, and he's, he's getting more targets. Colson's the two. Colson's still so solid, and they throw a ton of balls to Sproles. And, I mean, at some point you run out of balls. And I don't know. I think Lance Moore's going to have a two-touchdown, five-catch, 80-yard day. I just don't know if I can predict what week. Yep, and that's been my problem with him on a team that I've actually had to start him on. And uh, Nick Toon's going to watch the game from the – Stands, it looks like. He did last week. Or he did last week. Yeah, Meacham instead, and Meacham got a long target that just missed. I mean, Meacham was was one inch away from having an 80-yard touchdown in the game, but as Meacham's always been as a Saint, he's a deep threat. Yep. Is there he's any deep pass touchdown dependent. So is I there, don't think he has much value. Any scenario, yeah, I was going to say, is there any scenario you're picking up Meacham? No, just because you're never going to be able to predict when that 80-yard touchdown on a sweet double move. He's got a great double move, but. You'd still rather start Stills probably than him. Yeah, oh yeah. Stills has more value. And then one last one, would you drop Kenbrell Tompkins for Marion Brown, who's kind of emerged in Baltimore a little bit with the injury yeah, to uh, James yeah. Jones? Yeah, I'd do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, he's a big guy. Uh, he's totally different from Jacoby Jones, who he's kind of replacing. Right. So I think they find a spot for him even when Jacoby Jones gets back. All right, we're going to take a break and come back and talk a little boxing with Michael Woods. Our next guest is a native of Massachusetts and is a graduate of Ohio Wesleyan University. He has been covering boxing since 1990 and is a board member of the Boxing Writers Association of America. He is a contributing writer for ESPN the magazine and is the editor of thesweetscience.com. He is a former fighter himself and also writes for ESPN New York and the Huffington Post. He's making his second appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Michael Woods. You know, I was thinking I probably should have asked you before if any of that biographical information has changed since last time I talked to you in 2012. You know, whoever presented me, whoever wrote my bio that said former fighter, listen, I trained for a while. I tried to give it a shot. I worked out at the Somerville Boxing Club. You might remember Norman Stone, John Ruiz, his manager. He ran the joint. Johnny was there. You know, I did some of the work. I got punched in the face a little bit just enough to help give me get me to respect those guys a little bit more that that was the extent of it you know what i mean waking up a a five you know four days later and still feeling in a little bit of pain that that was the extent of it my body broke down it told me that i didn't have the uh the metal to do what these guys do so it did it served its purpose but they call me a former fighter uh i got a fire whoever uh, wrote that bio not you 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 read it very nicely you reminded me that i went to ohio westland and uh Massachusetts and that whole stuff, stuff that you don't really ponder that much. I don't like that. was a nice bio. Thank oh, you. Man, no problem. You know, this isn't mine, but I, I thought it was hilarious, and I want to ask you this. Yeah. I saw a tweet right before the fight started, and someone said the biggest missed opportunity that Mayweather had the other night was not turning around and punching Bieber in the face on his way to the ring. They said it would have been the greatest moment in boxing history. What do you think? Wow. 
how many views would that have gotten Imagine. on YouTube, on TMZ, whatever, <laughs> just like severe law. You know what? Would he have? Would it? Would they have done it in concert together? Are we saying, or would he would he have just snapped on him like a big yeah. wrestling heel move? Yeah, or what do you think? The exact point the guy made was it would be like a wrestling, but he called it a face turn, not a heel turn. He thought it would be the other oh way no, turn. you're right. It would be a Mayweather <laughs> face turn right. because Deeds is a big blowback against Deeds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you know. Look at I love. There, there's few things I think in sports that are kind of as exciting as like a big fight. You know, everyone knows when there's a big fight. It's like, all right, it's tonight, big fight. And I didn't know that Mayweather was bi- uh, boxing an Irish guy. I mean, I had no idea going into it. You know, ah, that, no, yeah, yeah, that's another really good joke, probably. Yeah, uh, no, we gotta <laughs> get onto Ancestry.com right. and uh, really figure out where exactly the uh, Canelo crew came from. Yeah, I just uh, like this guy. I, I look at him and I say, yeah. "Well, that's my that's my boy. That's my crew. That's from my uh, original stomping grounds from uh, 200 years ago." Uh, that, that's part of the appeal, isn't it? Right? You know, everyone has to has to have their niche. Everyone has to have their little hook, and that's one of his hooks. Uh, but that hook didn't do him no good on Saturday, did it? No, it didn't. Let's let's start with uh, let's start with just. Let me ask you this, because I didn't talk to you before. Mm. Going into this, what was your expectation? Was this a fighter that you thought could challenge uh, Mayweather, or, or were you? I was, of- I was pretty. I was pretty solid with my predictions, and my predictions are, you know, I don't ever pretend that I'm the be all end all as far as knowing what's going to happen before this one. I had right, uh, but as many of us did, I, I figured that he would do somewhere along the lines of, of Guerrero. I thought. I thought the uh, immobility, he doesn't have the quickest uh, feet. I thought that would do him in. Um, I figured he would maybe do one round better than, one or two rounds better than Guerrero did. And uh, it turns out that, uh, not really. (laughs) Not really. So, yeah, I just think everyone, you know, up until we start talking Andre Ward draining down to like 165 or something, you know, beating everyone from 118, and shoot, Floyd could probably cut down to 118. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, he, you know, Floyd's beating everyone, and that, that's what I figured would go on here. Uh, Canelo, listen, Canelo, if he had steamrolled Austin Trout, then I maybe would have thought differently. If he had really blown out some of these cats a little bit quicker, like Tommy Hearn, blowing guys out, taking guys out. Then maybe we could talk. But I just, I thought a solid guy. I thought he graduated to a B-plus or A-minus fighter with a win over Austin Trout, who I respect tremendously as a boxer. Uh, but, you know, Floyd is A-plus-plus, and everyone else isn't. That's it. What is it? One thing I noticed watching Floyd, and I'm an untrained eye as far as boxing, I enjoy it, but I don't know the specifics probably or the fundamentals like you do, but it just seems like he's so hard to hit. Seems like he can move yeah. his bodies in ways that his body in ways that I, I couldn't imagine, and then he can punch at some angles that are just seem really weird too. Show me, show me ten people all time that are better defenders than him. You can't do it. The guy looks like he's working with four eyes. His reflexes are sick. Um, he just he's the best defender out there that I've, I've ever seen. He's just gonna make me look. He absolutely knows what's coming. His ring generalship is amazing. So uh, his defense is uh, is his best attribute. Offensively, he's got a really quick hand. He's not going to quit. You know, that's one reason that, aside from making eight to twelve million for fighting him, that's one reason guys are like, I want to fight Floyd. I want to fight Floyd because he's not. He's not going. He's not going to 
wreck you. He's not going to hurt your brain, probably, right? You saw, you know, a little lumped up in the face and stuff, but he's not going to punish you. He's not going to really hurt you. He's going to kick your tail. You're going to lose every round. But uh, Floyd's defense is just masterful. Now, all right, last time we had you on, I hate this, but yeah. last time we had you on, it was because I Uh-oh. loved watching this fight, and then there was this yeah. unbelievably strange outcome. And again, yeah. I, I really enjoyed watching the fight. And I'm an untrained eye, but I'm watching. I'm like, yeah. yeah, you know, felt like you know Floyd won that one. It's like, yeah, he won right. that one, and he won that right. one. And then it's over, and I'm waiting, and I'm thinking, well, maybe the you know maybe Floyd lost the last round, and maybe the first round was could go either way, and maybe there's another one in there that I just wasn't smart enough to know. Right. But there's no way I could ever get that to a draw. W- what happened there? C.J. Ross right. needs to be. You need to be, do the same things that you do with the, the boxers that you do with the judges. I'm not being flipping here. We really have to determine what went on here. You know, I'm making your analysis joke, but no, seriously, really have to sit down. And actually, I just wrote a quick column, put it up on thesweetscience.com today, saying that we have to fix this bad judging problem. So we can't just keep throwing up our hands and bloviating and. And, and having Teddy Atlas blow up every Friday night on Friday night fights with another bad judging incident, we have to make inroads into actually fixing it. And it's going to take a smarter person than I uh, to, to come up with the ideas that are going to work. But obviously, I think we have to have a database, a national and international database. And uh, if cards are uh, out of the norm from what other people are turning in, they have to be uh, flagged. You know, and so uh, for C.J. Roth to get another assignment on the big stage after turning uh, in a controversial, to put it nicely, card, 115-113 for Tim Bradley against Pacquiao last year, um, I don't think that enough people paid attention and raised the red flag when C.J. Roth was announced as one of the judges for this one. Probably, probably we should have. I think I tweeted before the fight started, hey, you know what, I want a good fight. And at the end of the night, I don't want to. Um, I, I don't want us to be fixating focus on another occasion of bad judging. And unfortunately, that happened. Instead of talking about the mastery, what's trending the next day? Judge C.J. Ross. Well, right. The follow-up stories, too. You know, fifty percent of them are on what's going on with that judge. That's just stupid. That's just detracting from our sport that we that we all love, that we all adore, that we all make our our, our money from. So. We gotta fix this. Uh, you know, better, better minds than I. Gotta get on this. Let's, let's get, let's get it together, guys. Let's figure this out. I don't know if there's an answer for this, but is it? If if you had a guess, is it incompetence? Is it corruption? Is it? I mean, what? How did? How does I that happen? Listen, I cannot. I cannot. It is not. It's not fair for me. It's not right for me to even talk about the possibility of corruption. I don't want to mm-hmm. smear anyone with that. Right. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. it's like bringing up the possibility of steroids. I just don't think it's... So you show me something, and then we can talk, right? Um, does that, is that, is that going to pop into your mind, though? She has to. In a certain segment of people, I mean, well, God, if you've been around this planet at all for any 20 years or so, there's going to be a degree of cynicism creeping into you because you see things. You've seen so many things. You know how people can operate on the dark side. Um, and she's one statistic that I read that I didn't look into was that the odds of a draw dropped from 30 to one to eight to one shortly before the fight, a huge, you know, I think that's a huge margin, uh, shift. So, uh, 
listen, it's gamma capital of the world. It's Las Vegas. So the, the, the possibility that stuff goes on to influence who wins and who loses in the betting department has to at least cross your mind. I know nothing about C.J. Ross. I know nothing about C.J.'s background. I don't want to imply anything. It wouldn't be prudent. It wouldn't be right. I wouldn't want anyone to do that to me, but does it bear asking? And here's another thing. I'm based in Brooklyn. I like going to see these fights in Barclays. Uh, the Nets and Barclays Center CEO, Brett Yormark, traveled to uh, Las Vegas to uh, try to land the next Mayweather fight in the Barclays Center. And people say, well, it's not going to happen. Uh, the, the tax situation in New York is too difficult. The, the entertainers have to pay uh, too much of a stiff surcharge as opposed to, as opposed to in Las Vegas, Texas. Uh, but one thing that I tweeted afterwards in a semi-joking fashion is, guess what? Here in New York, we don't have C.J. Roswell, and <laughs> we've got some good judges here. So right. um, it's a problem. It, it, it's a persistent problem. Once every couple months it's happening. Um, we have to determine why, and we just have to pick the A-squad. We have to pick the all-stars. We have to determine who the all-stars are. Who is going to determine who the all-star judges are? And then we just have to use them. I mean, why would CJ get another opportunity? Is she a nice lady? Is she friends with the people who make the determination that she's going to get the job? I don't know. But we got to know. we got to figure this out. Because it is like maybe the top problem in boxing today. Where does, uh, where does Floyd go from here? Where does Floyd go from here? Uh, whenever we talk about what's next for Floyd, that's always running through the filter of uh, remembering that boxing is a business. Okay, all these sports are business. Uh, you know, we as fans watch it to be entertained. The people that run these sports do it to make money by and large. So filter everything through what's going to make money. Well, Danny Garcia uh, really upped himself in the eyes of people as a potential Floyd opponent uh, by beating Lucas Matisse. Um, so he's in the mix. Uh, Amir Khan is in the mix, um, especially if they could bring that fight to Dubai. Um Right with the big Arab population, um, is he uh, someone that many people believe could uh, beat Floyd? No. Would it be an exciting fight because Floyd could actually perhaps uh, score a knockout, uh, which he is not prone to do? Uh, I think there's an element of, of interest there. Uh, those are two guys. Does Amir Khan get past uh, Devin Alexander on December 7th when they fight? That's big if. Um, a, Canelo, a Canelo rematch, there, I've seen no call for it. Uh, no, it wasn't close enough. I think uh, you, had, you had people hoping that even if Canelo didn't win, the fight would be close enough to justify a rematch, right? Did not happen. Uh, so he's not in the mix. Um, do you have to start saying, mm, Floyd, maybe you got to go up a little bit. Maybe you got to creep up towards 160. Uh, because uh, no one around uh, 147 to 154 can challenge you at all. A lot of people are saying, hey, what about Sergio Martinez? Um, Sergio looks like he would be on a course instead to fight uh, Miguel Cotto next year. And um, also you have a problem, the political problem, of Floyd being aligned with Showtime and Golden Boy and Sergio being uh, uh, very loyal to HBO. So uh, would that be able to be made? Uh, I very much doubt it. The goal for him sort of is fifty and zero, right? Is that where he's trying to look to get to? Is that is that that's a big thing for him? 
You know what? We're at 45 and 0 now. I think it's pretty far away, right? Let's yeah. get to 48 and 0, and then we, I think we can start talking about it a little bit more. I think right now it's like, no, 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 let's let's figure out who we can. I'm thinking in terms of the perspective of the people that run this show, you know, not, not us fans. Who are we going to get that's going to draw well, that's going to, uh, you know, get those pay per view buys? You know, it'd be hard to. Uh, Kevin Ioli tweeted out the other day that it looks like it's running that uh, this one should get uh, 2.36 million, which I think would be the second all-time pay-per-view uh, by uh, Mark. It's trending towards that way. So, um, what's what's a fight that we can do to you know get near there? I think that's going to be really hard to do. Um, you're not going to do that well again. But then again. You know, time passes and, and, and stars rise, and six months ago, my man, we might be talking about a person that we're not talking about today. You know, we always we tend to forget, we, we think that things are going to be static, and as they are. No, things change, stars emerge. That's why when you see these stories about boxing is dying, boxing is dead, bullet is the last uh, prize fighter. My friend, I have to tell you that I've seen this, uh, this uh, journalistic uh, exercise done from probably the cavemen were doing it oh the last caveman you know the last prize fighter after boxing this guy's this, this guy is the last superstar no there will be more there won't be exactly like tyson it won't be exactly like oscar it won't be exactly like floyd but it'll be someone else that will be compelling because uh you know it's not a sport for everyone but geez is it not compelling i see two guys half naked, standing across from each other, may the better man win. And uh, there's something about that that's always going to be appealing till the end of time. Did I see you tweet something about uh, Hopkins being a possibility for Floyd? Hopkins, you know, I guess he said afterwards that he said he'd be willing to go down to 160 and, and fight Floyd. And then some people are saying, well, I come on, he'd be speaking tongue-in-cheek. I haven't actually seen him and, and, and asked uh, if, he was, if he was serious about it. But I don't crap on what he says and I don't dismiss it and, and think that he couldn't do it. I think you do that at your own peril. This is a 48 year old man that has showed the mental fortitude that we just, we've never seen in the sport. Let's give proper credit to Bernard Hopkins, right? 48 years old and still schooling young guys. Uh, I've talked to divorce cloud about that. So I would, I would, I do. I think he could get to 160. I do. Uh, do I think he would beat Floyd? I don't. But would I tell that to his face? I wouldn't because he confounded me so damn many times. I think it would be a fascinating promotion. I'm actually interested in following up and seeing if that is a possibility, talking to a couple people and see if there's any level of seriousness there. That's the thing, my man. I think we do have to get a little bit inventive as far as um, what fights we're thinking of for Floyd. You know, a little bit outside the box. I've put this out there a number of times. Could could we get Andre Ward to go to a catch weight of one of you know, one sixty five or even drain down to one sixty four? Could we get that to happen? What about Peter Quillen at at, at one sixty? Would Quill would Quillen be willing to uh, drop down to a catch weight of one fifty six? I, I do think we have to at least ponder the possibility of getting a little bit um, a little bit experimental, a little bit outside the box for what's next for Floyd. Sportscasters are here with Michael Woods from thesweetscience.com. You can also find them on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesweetsciencenews. Uh, and you can find them on Twitter at tssboxingnews. Uh, last thing, I'm just curious, uh, are you excited yeah. to check out, I heard Tyson on Stern today, 
always such yeah. an interesting, uh, paralyzing figure, and he's got this seemingly really cool uh, uh, six-part kind of documentary series that's going to start on Fox and then finish on Fox Sports 1 on, I think, five consecutive Tuesdays. Uh, okay. Where does something like this like in the boxing community, where does something like, is this something people are buzzing about? Are people interesting? Is there going to be anything new there? Or is this kind of just like a story that's been told and kind of done with it? Tyson doesn't, uh, like, he pretty much nailed as far as story's been told. Hard to find new ground with Tyson, but somehow he keeps doing it, right? Yeah, two weeks ago, him announcing that he uh, had a sobriety slip, and after three plus years of sobriety, uh, he uh, he indulged again, and then we didn't actually hear of what he did. I tried to get an interview. His uh, publicist said, no, we're not delving into that right now, uh, the specifics of it. Um, he always, to me, he's always going to be a fascinating character because he is, um, he's been unafraid, he's been unafraid to actually put all his uh, weaknesses out there for the world to see, and there's a, there's a self-loathing there. That is not, I don't believe, the typical sort of, I'm putting this out there to sell a book. You know, he's always had this. He's always admitted this uh, self-loathing streak in him. And I guess I've, in a way, I've admired it, admired him for his candor, for his honesty, because I think it's, it's something a lot of people just don't cop to because they're ashamed uh, to be that vulnerable. And I think there, there's a fascination there with someone who, in the ring, has had an aura of being invincible, but yet outside the ring, it almost speaks in a confessional tone and shows such vulnerability. So there's total dichotomy there. And I think that's always interesting, really. Uh, the man is, what, 47 years old now and, and still, you know, can command uh, a six-part documentary series. He's got a book coming out, autobiography coming out next month. So, uh, that says something. That's a staying power of of, of, a, of a charismatic figure. That, that's hard to do. Did you go see a show? No, because I didn't get a free ticket. <laughs> it's going to be. I, think, I didn't. Yeah, it's going to yeah, be a Showtime. I, I, I think maybe right? one of these days I will, but uh, didn't happen yet. Yeah, I think it's. I think they're going to show it on Showtime. I, I heard that he was just right. So, he was so strange today on Stern. I, I think I know people go into that room a little guarded, just because you never yeah. know what's going to come at you from Howard. But right. He's been on in the past, and he, he's been really open, and he always is open, but I don't know. Today, it just seemed like – I don't know if it was like the questions he was asking, he wanted to hold back the answers for the book or for the documentary or for the, the show or, or whatever, but I don't know. It just – there was a different vibe to it, but um, – Was he being a little bit coy? A little bit. It just felt it – felt, it felt really weird. It just felt different, and, and, and I don't know. I, I, you might, you, I didn't hear it, so you might be right there that he didn't want to let out the juiciest bit. That's because what it felt he had like to, to me. save it for yeah. for the uh, the Fox stuff. I think that's entirely entirely possible because what other juicy? I mean, he lets out all the other juicy bits. What is well? That's the thing. Howard can correct me if I'm wrong. Howard can usually weasel out some stuff that he's the master been of it. Out anywhere else, yeah, right? he's the master so, of it. He's the master of it. And one one interesting thing they kind of stumbled upon yeah. is that I guess in this documentary, mm-hmm. uh, Tyson sits down with Holyfield. And they kind of talk to each other about yep. Tyson biting his ear off, and right. and they kind of get into that, and then it just kind of hit a wall. It was almost like, okay, now you know that's going to be there, so go to the show if you want more. And it, right, you know, it just not what you usually ex- expect from Tyson because he's usually so open. But it seemed like they had him, they had him. One really interesting thing was him talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was at an appearance, and they owed him fifteen mm-hmm. grand for it, and they didn't come up with it right away, and. 
He's okay. like, you know, I almost thought that old Mike was going to come out. and I Right, right. I don't know. Really interesting right. polarizing guy. But um, one more time, it's thesweetscience.com, all over the place, mm-hmm. Facebook, I mentioned. Um, at, at Woodsy1069 at is Woodsy Twitter. If you can right scan the yep. odd political tweet every now and again, now and again I try to keep it, uh, keep it down a little bit. But I think uh, all of us should remember that we are human beings first and uh, sports personalities and such second. And uh, that's one reason why I like to have my flexibility and independence uh, so I don't, uh, you know, I've done, done work for ESPN for a long time, but I, I like to be Mike Woods, the human being. So right. I think I have a little bit of more latitude to be that when I'm not Mike Woods ESPN at ESPN. You know what I mean? Oh, so, absolutely. Uh, at Woodsy1069 on Twitter. And uh, we got a lot of good stuff today. And Paul Mullen, now he told me yesterday, he said Floyd Mayweather is number one, pound for pound, all time. I said, really? Uh, did you think of that? You thought that before Saturday? And he said, I did, but this basically cemented it. And I said, okay, so that means Floyd, uh, if we had a time machine and everything was being equal and we could find the right weight, he would be the Sugar Rays. He would be uh, Henry Armstrong. He would be Leonard Duran, her and Saturday. And Paul, he said, yes. Yes, he would. And he said, I'll tell you why. Uh, Mike, uh, most of the people who are naysayers and haters and say, no, 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 Floyd is not the greatest of all time, he said, Mike, they've not been punched in the face once, okay? Uh, people that have been and do it for a living, they know better, much better, how hard it is to do what Floyd does. And guess what? I have to listen that much harder to Paulie because he's proved himself to be an incredible ring general. Uh, there's five knockouts in, uh, whatever, 30, 35 fights. He has uh, negligible power, but yet he's able to uh, stand in there with Broner and, uh, and acquit himself quite nicely. So I really listen, and I don't dismiss it. I, I don't dismiss it at all. I, I think we have to uh, at least consider it that if uh, we had the time machine and Floyd could fight some of those guys, uh, that he might just get it done because he's uh, he's a master in there. He's a master at selling too. I, I was so uh, I had a laugh. Forty one million dollars he made, and then he's in the ring interview trying to sell a hat and a t shirt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, seeing him actually pick up that ancillary income stuff um, after the best friend breakup with Fifty Cent because Fifty Cent was saying Floyd's a he's a knucklehead. He uh, he just fights for money and he goes broke in between his fights. He got nothing else going on. After that, I think Floyd took that to heart and said, yeah, 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 I do have to have some other revenue streams. So uh, he's learning. And, you know, listen, 36 years old, jail stint last year. And since then, um, you know, hasn't had any fights with ladies, hasn't taken to Ustream and done any racist rants. Um, he's, by and large, kind of behaved himself. And I was just talking to uh, out about in the neighborhood today here in Brooklyn about the fight, and I said, you know, I think I think the jail stint really really helped him grow. And the kid said, well, but come on, Woods, jail for him and jail for you and me was not the same thing. I said, no, 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 I don't think Floyd was in jail and was like a good fellow seeing cooking steak, right? Salt, right, slicing the garlic. And all. I Real don't thin. think it was that. He said, oh, but yeah, he was just in his own cell and stuff, no one bothering him. I said, think about it. This is a man who's surrounded by a posse of 30 people telling him how great he is all the time. He was left to his own devices. And he had to really think and ponder about what he did, who he is, where he's coming from, where he's going. 
And I really think it took, it, it, I think it did something to him. I really think he matured. And I think at 36, he's, you know, becoming more of a, a fuller human being. And I hope he is. You know, I hope he is. I hope he does great things. That's a lot of money he got. He can make it do a lot of powerful things and, and lead people the right way. I don't like necessarily all that blingy stuff and all that cars and stuff. I don't think that's the way you use money, the best use of money. That's to his, uh, he can do it if he wants, of course. That's uh, his business. But you know, I'm always hoping for him to, to grow and be that best human being that he can be and be that role model, too. Thanks for all the time today. appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on and letting me ramble, man. All right, I want to thank Michael Woods and Dan Wilkin for being on the show today. Uh, don't forget you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.sports-casters.com. Find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters, and you can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. Don't forget to play Guess Fox Football with us. You can guess what Fox broadcasting teams will broadcast each game by emailing us uh, guessfoxfootball at gmail.com. We play that with Ken Fang and Fang fangsbites.com. We got prizes for quarterly winners and season-long winners, and you can some of those prizes will be provided by Fox. Also, we're going to do airtime on our podcast and blog space at Fangsbites for the winners. So, cool stuff to win there. Sick podcast next week. Really pumped up for it. We have, for the first time since the sixth episode of the first season of the Sportscasters, Joe Piznanski from NBC Sports is going to be on the show. And it's been that long? Sixth show, first season. We were supposed to have him when the book came out, and then the book promotion tour stopped when all the craziness happened. Wow, I thought we've had him twice. No, one, wow. time, one time only. Yeah, we probably just talked about him a lot. Yeah, we have talked yeah. about him a lot. And uh, also Nate Jackson, former NFL player who's got a book coming out, is going to join us to talk about his time in the NFL and his book. So big show next week. All right, one more thing for me this week. Jerry Richardson, owner of the NFL's Carolina Panthers, turns down $1.25 billion to move them to L.A. Um, I don't have a real strong opinion on this either way, so I'm going to kind of ride the fence here. But uh, part of me thinks that's awesome. I live in a small market where the commissioner, the hated commissioner of the NHL had to save my hockey team from being moved and he's done so with teams like the Ottawa Senators. And I don't like to see teams moved. I know he doesn't like to see teams moved, even though the Thrashers got moved. But on the other hand, I think football would just be better with a team in L.A. And I don't know that they necessarily lose a lot by taking a team out of Carolina. Um, I know everyone likes to point to Jacksonville, says take Jacksonville, take uh, Tampa Bay or whatever. So on the one hand, I kind of wanted to see the – what was the hockey team that was going to move to Seattle? It was um, Phoenix. Phoenix, yeah. I wouldn't have minded seeing a hockey team go to Seattle. So I'm kind of talking out both sides of my mouth here. I like. I live in a small market. I like that small market teams can thrive because I know how important professional sports teams are to these small markets and how uh, pumped people get for it and everything. I know there are rabid fans in small markets. But on the other hand, it would be cool to have a team in L.A. too. So I don't have a real strong opinion. But uh, Why don't they dangle that billion dollars in front of the Jacksonville owner? Yeah. Do you think he might jump? 
He's loaded, though. Isn't he the new he owner? He is loaded, yeah. yeah They're mean, all loaded. So kudos to Jerry Richardson for turning down $1.25 billion. Uh, maybe he just likes owning a football team, I guess. And uh, I guess good for you, Carolina. One last thing. Over the summer, we did a couple interviews, one with uh, Papademus from Grantland.com and one with Brett Martin, who wrote a really cool book called Difficult Men, which talked about some of the TV's antiheroes like Tony Soprano and uh, Walter White of Breaking Bad. And I had a conversation last night with a friend about Breaking Bad and, and, and the great final season it's having. Oh, man. Uh, this last eight Should episodes. Should I plug my ears? No, 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 no okay. spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say that... Um, I still think The Sopranos and The Wire are better than Breaking Bad. And who knows? Maybe Breaking Bad has something in these last two episodes that will boost it above one of those two shows that I hold very sacred. But I can't think of a better final season for any show in any genre of television. Breaking Bad is going out with one hell of a bang. And I know you're, what, about season two right now, Don? Almost down to season two, yeah. Man, do you have just an unbelievable treat waiting for you. Breaking Bad is – they're going to win every Emmy – the acting is just off the charts great. The writing is great. Uh, the drama is great. The action is great. And they're going out the way TV shows could go out. And if I was writing a show and uh, I'm trying to think of how I want to end it, I might t- take Vince Gilligan inside, aside and say, hey, why don't you tell me a little bit about well, what you, how you planned this last season? Because, man, they're doing it right. It's one hell of a show.